Genre. Welcome back to Rocky Minute. This is a daily podcast in which we analyze the movie Rocky one minute at a time. I'm your host, Doug Greenberg. And I'm the co-host, Jason Haynes. And with us today is Scott Corelli. Scott, welcome. Hey, guys. How's it going? It's going great. And thanks for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Always up for talking about Rocky. Awesome. (laughs) Who is it? If uh, Pete and Alex are the granddaddies of the minute-by-minute format, you're certainly... What the Godfather, drunk uncle? <laughs> what I mean, you're definitely you're definitely uh, up there in the in the hierarchy. Is, well, uh, thank the, you. I appreciate yeah. that. I don't know how you keep so many balls in the air with all the different projects you got going on. I don't either. It's <laughs> it's a miracle. <laughs> uh, well, today we're covering minute six, um, which opens with uh, the Fight Club promoter telling Rocky to give him a call, and it ends with the reveal of Mighty Mix Boxing Club as the co-star's names flash across the screen. Um, so, yeah, so the promoter, uh, this is the end of the locker room scene where, you know, the promoter just got finished uh, telling Rocky uh, he could fight maybe again in two weeks, tells him to give him a call, and the doctor will be in in 20 minutes to uh, fix up their battered faces. <laughs> um, at this point, Rocky just looks beat up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know. I really I, I really like uh, what this movie does because, you know, these movies, I love all of them. Uh, pretty much equally. Um, yes, even five. But what I really love about this first one and to a, a certain extent, this, the second one, I like that it, it takes the romanticism out of boxing Right. Out of out of it, like you know, it we, we you open with that fight, and you're like, okay, cool, I'm 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 here for a boxing movie, and then you get to this scene, and you're like, what kind of boxing movie is this? Like, <laughs> they're just like sitting here, like all hurt and and like can barely move, and just kind of like staring off into the distance, and uh, and I I just really like it. I think scenes like this are the reason why this won Best Picture that year. And if you look, Spider Rico has actually fallen asleep and mm-hmm. laying on the in the background there. So, which yeah, isn't what you, you want to do because he probably has right. a question. <laughs> yeah, usually at at, uh, at the end of you know your your regular boxing movies, you got the the guy that after fighting a, a huge fight seems to have all the energy in the world as he's jumping up and down in the ring cheering right. and stuff. Right. That's not reality. No. Yeah, I mean this is this is really and it, it, it kind of sets up the ending of the movie, right? Which is like nobody's a winner in boxing. Not really. Right. You know? Like, yeah, both of these guys are beat to shit. <laughs> like, you know, like not neither of them won. Not really. Even if one of them was, you know, given the 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 title of a winner. Neither yeah. of them won. These guys, I mean, you know, this guy has a concussion, he's fallen asleep, he might not wake up. <laughs> I mean yes, no. I don't know. It's yeah. it's bad. It's bad news. Boxing's bad news. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It, it doesn't uh, glorify it one bit. No. And from the sound of things, they're going to do the whole thing over again in about two weeks. Right. right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we touched. You heal up just in time to do it all over again. It's madness. <laughs> That's what we said. Like, usually, um, you know, if, if you get a nasty cut above your eye like Rocky has, that probably won't even be healed in two weeks. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to go open it up again or add to it. Yeah. yeah do what you got to do. But, I mean, you do what you got to do for $40 a night. Right. 
the uh, we, we've been uh, touching upon the script here and there too um, to see what kind of differences there are. And at the end of this fight in the locker room scene, there was said there was about ten fighters in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and two guys talking about going to Atlantic City, and it's like it looks like it it has a more more of a like you said a glorified romanticized idea of what a boxing club mm-hmm. might look like. Mm-hmm. You know, guys shadow boxing in the corner. One guy's combing his hair and listening to the radio. Mm-hmm. But this, this, how they they actually show it, it seems way more real. Yeah, it's right? definitely. I think I think it's the difference between you know when Stallone takes over as director, you get a lot of that the, the a lot of the romantic notions of boxing and athletes uh, kind of return. Because mm-hmm. it, it's obviously, I mean, if that's in the script like that, that's obviously what his vision of this movie is. And, mm-hmm. you know, luckily he wasn't uh, the first director. And so right. we get a guy who, you know, takes out a lot of that and wants to make it a little more realistic, a uh, more realistic depiction of what this is actually like. And I think it it ends up in the long run, it helps uh, I think Stallone. I think I think he still gets a little carried away uh, by by the fourth movie. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> but but I think that you know as we see um, you know like in Rocky Balboa, it like it all kind of came back around, and I think he um, by that point, I think Stallone even knew you know as an older guy at that point knew that uh this is this is the reality and this is what makes these movies special is is the reality of it all and i mean right. you know look i'm all for rocky having a robot butler but <laughs> <laughs> he was uh he fell victim to the 80s action uh idea you know yeah yeah absolutely so uh so that's the end of the the fight club um and after they leave the club you see rocky walking down the street in downtown philly and it's you know, streets are littered with garbage. You, you know, you, they definitely drive home that downtown wrong side of the tracks feel. Mm-hmm. And then the uh, credit for Robert Chardoff and Erwin Winkler uh, production comes across. Uh, that's the production guys that we talked about in what the pilot was it? Yes, the, all the negotiations between yeah. the, with the money was with Erwin. Uh, that's the one he always lists in there. Yeah, and how uh, you know he almost walked out, but then he. You know, turned back around. He almost walked out of an audition for a different part, a different movie. You know, he got Erwin Winkler's attention when he when he came back and said, "You know, I I've been doing a little bit of writing," and he said, "All right, let's see what you got." Well, Chartoff and Winkler were producing films together, and they started in the '60s. A couple of nice Jewish boys getting together, right, their own some, production company, making some good movies. They made Rocky, Raging Bull, the right stuff. So this is wow. quality, uh, yeah work there yeah well they got uh they, they won the oscar for rocky uh nominated for raging bull and the right stuff but it looks like uh winkler went off on his own in 85 and he actually produced uh goodfellas which i did not know oh, wow yeah yeah um, and he was the executive producer of wolf on wall street as well yeah uh he received an oscar nom for best picture um for goodfellas and but they always uh turned off and winkler always came back to do the rocky movies so that's uh, they never forgot where they, uh, you know, where they, who uh, buttered their bread. Did they do Creed? It just yeah. says they over they came back and oversaw the production of them. It, I don't think they were the could look that up. But I don't think they were the producers themselves. But they just oversaw all of the Rocky movies, including Creed, 
toward the end. Okay. Just as kind of, I guess, like a consultant mm-hmm. type of thing. All right. Maybe we'll look that up. That's a good thing to check out. <laughs> then we get to the director, John G. Avildsen. We just lost a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it took me an embarrassingly long time to realize this was the same director as The Karate Kid. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I just found it out yesterday, actually. Oh, okay. so. <laughs> I'm not alone then. Okay, good. No. <laughs> it, it, just, there's... An interesting thing about him, though, it's kind of funny you bring that up because, um, oh, go ahead a second. I lost my thought <laughs> right. there. But I'll get back to you in a second. Now, now, Scott, you said before that um, it, it was the director's uh, artistic choices, you know, because he understood um, that boxing isn't glorified and whatnot. But at first, um, Avelson wasn't even interested in doing a boxing film. Mm-hmm. He he was given the uh, the script, and then he you know he started reading. He's like, I, you know, I'm not really into to a fight film. And uh, he said by the third page, he read about Rocky talking to his, his turtles. <laughs> and, uh, and and he realized, like, it was a great character study, you know, as well as a love story. But, he, you know, he said it isn't um, – Rocky isn't any more about boxing as Gone with the Wind is about the Civil War. So that was a quote he used. So it's kind of like the, the Rocky story just kind of surrounded in a boxing world. Mm-hmm. So that's when he jumped on board. I, I remember what I was going to say before now. It just came back to me. Let's hear it. But when, when you mentioned that you didn't know he did Karate Kid, it's a very interesting point because in 2017, there was a documentary called The King of the Underdogs that was released, and it was about Avildsen. And the, the subtitle to the movie is A Love Letter to the Man That We Didn't Know We Loved. And the funny thing is that he made you know two of the most iconic movies you know, Rocky, Karate Kid, fight movies about underdogs. They were similar movies. And no one really knows who he is. And he wasn't a household name. You know, no one knows anything about him. And the, and the thing like, the men we never knew we loved was great because you love the movies. You love how, you know, how they were done. But no one really knows the man yeah. who did that. Yeah, you had no idea. And it was a very interesting point. But yeah, it was a documentary. It was just released. King of the Underdogs, hmm. it's called. I haven't had time to. I just found out about it last night. So <laughs> I haven't watched it yet, but I, I will. I have to look into that. <laughs> What do you think about, like, uh, Scott, how they, the feeling of downtown Philly that they kind of generate oh, here? Well, I, I think it's important because I think it, it, it's kind of like showing you, because you, you've already shown him as a fighter. You introduce him as a fighter. And then you are just sort of like, <laughs> you're sort of like weirdly doing now like a prequel to the prologue of the movie, which is like, mm-hmm. this is where he comes from. You know, like, yeah, like yeah. you know, you might think it's cool that he's a boxer, but he's not he's not wealthy. You know, it's all it's all in steps. You know, you start with the fight. Then you find out how, how like, you see how like injured he is and you find out how much he made. And you're like, wait, what? And then you see where he's from right. and you're like, oh, this guy's life sucks. <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, I just like how they parse out that information. Like, it's really great. I And I, I like these long lingering shots of Rocky just very comfortably walking through his world while we're all watching this and just, you know, kind of just saying to ourselves, like, hi, this guy deserves so much better than this, you know, but he, he, and maybe he agrees, but you know, he's Rocky is a perpetual optimist, you know? So, (laughs) you know, he's just sort of playing with his ball and he's saying hi to the puppies. Simple guy. Yeah. Just walking, whistling. Yeah. Like it's, it's just business as usual for him. Right. Exactly. And, and, you know, he lives for his next fight. So he's, 
he's on a high right now. Like he hasn't hit the crash. That's later this week where he hits the crash. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but he hasn't hit the crash. So he's just happy. You know, he's like, I just, I just did a fight. It's all I ever want to do in the world is, is fight. And I just did it. So I'm happy. I'm playing with my ball. I'm walking home. (laughs) You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's nice. It's really nice. Yeah. You know, there's not a lot going on here, but it, it does a lot for the tone of the movie and a lot for the world building, I think, which is, you know, a term you usually use for, you know, big fantasy films or whatever world building, but you you know, Philly is such a major part of Rocky as a character that, you know, you gotta, you, you gotta show people who aren't from Philly what it's like to live there especially for right. our character. And I think you get a, a taste of it more in, in these few minutes than you do later on when he's doing the training montage. Yeah. You know, cause this is reality to him. That's just running past running up the steps of a museum and running down the, the market street and everything. Mm-hmm. Those are more like, I mean, you would think say tourist spots than, than this underneath the train tracks. Mm-hmm. 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 And even just showing what a simple guy he is as he's walking through the streets, he stops to talk to the dog in the window, the little puppy in the yeah, window. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, just who does that? Who walks on the streets? His dog stops. And not just, not just, a, hey, little guy, what's up? Moves on. Like, he actually has a conversation with the dog for a couple seconds. Well, I have, yeah, a, I have he, a whole thing about about the dog, but I, I, I want to. It, it's sort of set up here, but then I want to get to it uh, later when we meet his actual pets. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. But, but I, I, I love that he. Loves dogs. I've never in my life met an Italian man who didn't love dogs. Um, <laughs> like all Italian men, we're we, we're all dog people, all of us. Um, right. And you know, my grandpa, like my grandpa, remind me a, a reminds me a lot of Sylvester Stallone. That's what I. That's who I watch these movies with for the first time. Um, was my grandpa, and you know, he was from he was from Canarsie. Like he's he's uh you know he was a proud Italian man. And there was, he was a very strong Italian guy. And anytime there was a dog in the room, he turned into like a five-year-old boy. (laughs) (laughs) Because uh, Italian guys, we love dogs. We just love dogs. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of that, would you like to uh, regale us with your background history with the Rocky movies? (sighs) I I mean, I've seen, I was just raised on these movies because this was the movie that, um, all of these movies would be uh, the movies that I'd watch with my grandpa. And I'd, I'd spend a lot of time with my grandpa in the summer. Mm-hmm. And uh, whenever we were together, like these were the movies that we'd pop on because they're great movies. And, you know, especially in the sequels, uh, Rocky is basically a cartoon character. Um, you know, <laughs> so like as a kid, he's really entertaining to watch because he's, you know, he's easy to understand and he's uh, and he's and he's just fun. He's a fun character, really goofy, you know, yeah. uh, and and so, you know, it's as a kid, I love these movies and, and you you know, you don't understand that he doesn't win the this first movie as a kid. You, you don't, right, yeah, you don't right, get right. that yeah, because he's so right. happy. You're like, oh, he won, but he didn't win. <laughs> you don't know that as a kid. Because and so, the, the referees in Apollo's hand is kind of like in the background. You know, you're not right. even focusing on that. But exactly. That. exactly. <laughs> and you hear like the big heroic music and you're like, oh, he won. Yeah, um, yeah. You know. And and so like, these, yeah, I just I loved these movies as a kid and. I remember it wasn't until 
I don't know, maybe like late middle school or something like that, that I was talking about the Rocky movies and I realized like other kids my age like don't care about these movies <laughs> and <laughs> and would just like look at me like, what are you taught with the Rocky movies? Like the... <laughs> Like, are you, are you serious? Like the one where he like beat Russia single-handedly? <laughs> like, well, I was like, when you put it like that, I guess, huh? Um, but yeah, I mean, I've never, I've never not loved these movies. I, I, you know, every time, um, you know, when Rocky Balboa came out, I was there for showing same thing with Creed. Like I right. just, I, 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 I love these. I think that they're. Uh, fantastic. And, and yeah, they remind me a lot of my grandpa because we watched them, you know, every summer we would make our way through all five movies, yeah. uh, and, you know, together. And I just remember like kind of, you know, just sitting on the couch with my grandpa and his arm wrapped around me as we're like watching this. And he's kind of like, you know, fake punching me, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, during the fights and stuff. Like it's, you know, it's just, we love these movies and it just, it reminds me of my relationship with my grandpa. Hey, so it's more than just a movie. Yeah, absolutely. Well, these are these are always the movies, even nowadays, that when you're flicking through the TV stations and one of them's on, like you're that's it. You're you're sitting here watching, not doing anything else. Just having me yesterday. Rocky Four was on yesterday. Dropped everything. And I, my wife was home. I have a one year old at home. There was like we had all these plans for the day, and I put on the TV, and Rocky Four is coming on, and I said, "Well, there goes the day. This is this <laughs> yep. is it for the day." And that's exactly what I did: was watch the movie for the rest of the day. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I'm exactly the same. Like, I think I know the TV version of these movies just about as well as I do the theatrical versions. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. Moving on. All right. So the uh, starring Sylvester Stallone, his credit comes up, which we covered Stallone a lot earlier on in our pilot. And then uh, a thing I noted was um, the title comes up now, Rocky. And it's it's really written in small white block letters, nothing flashy about it. And it's like a stark contrast and the, the giant scroll that comes across in the introduction to the movie. Mm-hmm. So it's, I mean, just like, you know, it feels like more of a setup to the, the early part of the movie because there's nothing big and flashy about Rocky at all. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, you feel like if, if Rocky was really big on the screen, it would kind of contradict where Rocky feels right now. Well, I think the beginning they had the big fanfare, the big Rocky. It was kind of showing you that, like, Something special could happen, maybe mm-hmm. in the future. And then you get this prayer, like, not right now. Like, right now we're starting here, and we might get to something special later on. But right now it's a guy walking, talking to the dogs, Rocky Small, through the streets of Philly, and that's, that's what you get right now. Bouncing mm-hmm. his racquetball. Yeah, and I think it's, it's you know, it, it was purposely put there to begin the process of diminishing that romantic notion of boxing, you know? Right. right. You know, let's start. Let's start at a ten, and then we'll take it back to like a four. Um, <laughs> you know, literally, li- literally, the take it back gang. They they do it in the next minute. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're coming up on that. Yeah. Um. All right, and we get Tally Shire's uh, credit, also starring. I think Jay, you looked up. Uh... Yeah, I did some um, Tally Shire research yesterday. Um, she was born. She was born in 1946, and she's actually, her parents were uh, Carmine Coppola and Italia Coppola. She's actually Francis Ford Coppola's sister. Yes. And um, they had, he, she had two brothers, Francis Ford Coppola and August Coppola. August Coppola is Nicolas Cage's father. So Italia Shire is Nicolas Cage is aunt. Never really uh, knew that before, obviously. But um, she had, uh, her second marriage, she had three children, Jason and Robert Schwartzman. Jason Sch- Schwartzman is a, 
famous actor. He was in um, Rushmore, I Heart Huckabees, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. That's Talia Shire's son? That's her son. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. Um, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, Moonrise Kingdom. He was in uh, Grand Bud- Budapest Hotel. Mm-hmm. Quite a, uh, you know, some roles himself that he uh, got there. And that's her son from her second marriage. Um, she was married to Jack Schwartzman. Okay. Um, an interesting, well, not an interesting thing, but Doug knows this, and now everybody else knows this. I have this uh, debilitating fear of uh, illness and <laughs> and and getting diseases and dying. A major hypochondriac. And when I was doing this research, Talia Shire's second husband, Jack Schwartzman, died of pancreatic cancer. Oh, that's a big one, right? Uh, Robert Chertoff died of pancreatic cancer. Oh man, John Advilson died of pancreatic cancer. So there's a very uh, dark cloud over this entire movie. <laughs> And, and, and one of my biggest fears in the world. But let's, let's get away from that quickly before I have a <laughs> panic attack here. Um, Talia Shire had some minor roles uh, between 1968 and 1972. And when I was looking them up, they were just kind of like first girlfriend, last party guest, nurse, like just mm. you know, stand-in roles. And then in 1972, her brother gives her, you know, what was shot a, of a lifetime. A shot of a lifetime. Similar to Rocky gets a shot of a lifetime. <laughs> right. She becomes Connie Corleone in The Godfather. She, we'll get back to in a second, but she was in The Godfather 1 and 2, and then obviously in 1976, she gets the part of Adrian in Rocky. And you notice that in the Rocky movies, Adrian's last name is Panino, Adrian and Paulie Panino, and Panino is her mother, Italia Coppa's maiden name. So I guess a little shout out to mom there. Hmm. But it was just weird. In, in a four-year period, she stars in three of the greatest movies of all time. <laughs> like <laughs> That is incredible. an amazing beginning to a career. Yeah, that's incredible. Like if, who who has a run like that? Four years you're starting in three movies that I know always appear on top movie lists, whether it's top ten, fifty, hundred, whatever. These three movies are always on it. Godfather one and two are always in the top ten, definitely. And she was in all three of them in such a short period of time. It's crazy, amazing. Just some other quick things about her. Well, the thing about how she um, gets the role is uh, Rocky was having trouble. I'm um, not Rocky. Sylvester Stallone uh, admitted that they were having trouble filling the role of Adrian. It was originally given to an, a, a woman named Carrie Snodgrass. Stallone wanted her because he wanted Adrian's family to be Irish. Mm-hmm. And he actually wanted Harvey Keitel to play her brother. Um, but Carrie dropped out because of the low salaries. They were only making $360 before taxes. Oof. And uh, Sylvester Stallone actually offered to pay. He wanted her so bad, he offered to pay her his share of the of the money. Oh, and wow. she still wanted to take it, and she left. And uh, she actually has a child with Neil Young. That's her. Hmm. Snodgrass? <laughs> yeah, Snod- Snodgrass has a child with Neil Young. Oh, imagine that. And then um, Susan Sarandon auditioned for the part, but they thought she was too pretty for the role. Mm-hmm. Cher was even considered at one at one point. And then um, Stallone had seen, obviously, her in The Godfather, and he asked her to come to audition for the part. And... Um, she came in, and actually, a quote from Sylvester Stallone was that when she read for the part, he said he felt the earth move. Like, he was just completely blown away by her reading for the part. And it was just, she was just a plain woman. She came with her glasses on, her short hair, and just plain, uh, you know, shy woman. And and he just immediately, he said that she was the one for the part. Lucky her. Right. Or lucky she, us. Shot, you, know, she, you know, and she became the... Uh, you know, one, the, one part of one of the best movie quotes of all time. Yo, Adrian. Yeah, that's it's true. In history, but mm-hmm. yeah, he said uh, Stallone said he was in. You know, right from the beginning, he knew that she was perfect for the part. And and they said actually, the funny thing was that Stallone. They say like he saw something in her, like you know that Talia Shire was like an onion, and he peeled the layers, and he saw something that nobody else saw, that other people didn't see. 
this year's perfect for the part, and that is Rocky and Adrian. Like, there's mm-hmm. more to them than what you see, and they were able to see in each other what was that other people didn't see. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, it went right back, you see, you know, to the casting of it. And she plays the the part of the shy girl so, so well. Perfectly, right? I, I actually, saw, I saw Rocky before I ever saw The Godfather. And, you know, first seeing her in The Godfather, I was like, oh, she's going to play this shy character, but just world of differences between the two characters. Mm-hmm. Right. But she actually had said that she was uh, very shy as a child. Mm-hmm. And um, she actually, she went to Yale Drama School as a way to break out of her shyness. But, she said she had a lot of relation, a lot of uh, commonalities with Adrian when she was growing up. She was a very shy girl in high school. All right, who's up next? Burt Young. Mm-hmm. I think he's the he gets the next credit. Burt Young. Let's see. He plays Paulie Panino, nominated for Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. He but he lost to uh, Jason Robards in All the President's Men, which was a great movie. That's mm-hmm. if you're going to lose the Academy Award, you lose it to that. And on the other side of the spectrum, he was actually nominated for a Razzie Award for Worst Supporting Actor in Rocky V. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sorry, Scott. You know. But uh, Burt Young, was he was actually born Gerald Tommaso D... Uh, how, do you say, how would you say this? D-E-L-O-U-I-S-E. D-Louise? D-Louise in Queens, New York. Italian-American guy. He actually dabbled in prize fighting in oh, his no uh, early years, but... Um, the funny thing was that when he was uh, coming up as an actor, when he decided he was going to go into acting, he said one of the things he wanted, and this is before he got the part of Rocky, one of the things he wanted to accomplish as an actor was he wanted to show people how to overcome life's hurdles or at least cope with them the best they can. And funny, he stars in one of the top movies about overcoming mm-hmm. hurdles and you know making the best out of a life and making the best out of an opportunity and doing the best you can and so it was weird that he uh, he fell right into what he uh, wanted to embody as an actor. Yeah, he he kind of made his name playing like that rough-edged, working-class, Italian-American mm-hmm. kind of guy, you know? That's what he was. They, they, he said before he got, um, the you know, became an actor, he just was like an odd job kind of guy. Like he did carpeting and construction and stuff like that. So that's what he was. Mm-hmm. Was anybody else up for Paulie when? Uh... Uh, well, I told you earlier that he just that he when it was supposed to be an Irish family, it was going to be Harvey Keitel. Oh right, right. But uh, I didn't find find any any who else was actually considered for the part. Harvey Keitel would have been a weird Polly. right? <laughs> I would agree. Yeah, he Polly looks more um like like reined in emotion, <laughs> not emotionally. But Harvey Keitel is just like a loud brash kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Harvey Keitel. You know, I don't see. Harvey Keitel is who you cast to play. Like, if you do like a Mick prequel, you cast Harvey Keitel right, yeah. to play like a young Mick. You don't. Like, <laughs> there you go. Because he's. I mean, he looks like he should be in the ring. He doesn't look like, you know, a schlubby. <laughs> like, I mean, I guess, I guess I, even a schlubby uh, Irish guy, really. You know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't. That's a. Yeah, that would have been a weird. Uh, but I mean, then again, was. Back in the seventies, was he? Uh, I, I think he was pretty much the same. He was. Right? He was. He was ripped in the seventies. Remember Taxi yeah, Driver? Yeah. yeah, he was a big dude. Yeah. 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 That would. That would. That would have been an odd. Now that I think about it. But yeah. but Paulie is one of those characters that I don't. It's we can't picture anyone else playing Paulie or being mm. Paulie. Like he played that character perfectly. But I don't know if it's because we only know Burt Young as Paulie. You know, so it's uh, which comes first, like do we, you know, what I'm saying? yeah, like, yeah. 
Yeah, it's I don't know if it is, but I couldn't imagine anyone else playing that. He played that character perfectly. Well, and also think, they. I well, I don't think I don't think Polly would have been. I don't think he would have become the same character. Right. I guess I guess I could see it in this movie. Um, you know, like like you know, Polly in this movie. You know, if you take all the sequels out of the equation and everything that Polly does in the sequels out of it, and you just think about this movie, which is just like. You know, a guy who's protecting his sister and, you know, kind of a drunk, yeah. you know, like, and that, and that's it. Like you could, I guess you could kind of like squint and see what they would have done with just like an Irish Harvey Keitel kind of character, but maybe they would have just made like his alcoholism more of a thing. Yeah. Um, he, like, uh, so like he was, he was like sad because of that, not because he was like a schlubby guy. Um, but I don't, I, it's, would have it definitely would have changed so much about the Rocky Polly relationship. Like I don't know that they would have had a relationship after this movie. Yeah, I could see that definitely. Yeah. But, but interesting, we talk about the development of the character. I found this quote that Burt Young gave when he was talking about playing Polly, and he says, um, "He says Polly could have been totally one way: angry, frustrated, a blunt son of a gun. I tried to show the man's pain and his cry for help. And one of the things like." Sylvester Stallone had said, well, like, the, the character of Paulie, like, you know, this is a movie about, about Rocky, gr- you know, growing, you know, becoming, starting in one way. Yeah, throughout the four movies, he grows. Mm-hmm. Uh, I stopped at four. He grows and becomes, <laughs> you know, something else. He changes, as does Adrian. Well, Paulie's the same way. Like, Paulie starts off as just the bum, the drunk. But as the movies go on, you, he grows as a person. And you mm-hmm. can really see in the future movies, like, the, the love, loyalty that he has for his sister, for Rocky, for the people that are close to him. Right. Mm-hmm. When this was pretty much all about him. Right. When, when that scene with Adrian, like, you know, what, what are you going to do for me? I always take care of you. you right. Know, and that's how he was in the beginning. about Paulie? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And he grew, you know, into a, a much better person by the end of the, uh, by the end of the movies. All right. Next up, we have Carl Weathers, who plays Apollo Creed. He went to a private high school in Louisiana. He was a great all-around athlete in boxing, football, gymnastics, judo, soccer, and wrestling. Wow. Yeah. He went undrafted. He was, you know, trying out for football. He went undrafted after college. Ended up signing with the Oakland Raiders in 1970. Played seven games in 1970. Played one game in 71, and then he was released by Oakland. He signed with the British Columbia Lions of the Canadian Football League and played 18 games with them between 71 and 73. And then he retired from football in 74 to pursue acting. Early on, he started, uh, he kicked off his acting career in some of those black exploitation films um, that his friend Arthur Marks was directing uh, called Bucktown and Friday Foster before he started getting some roles in like mainstream TV and films. Uh, he played an MP in one of one of three releases of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Hmm. You're a Close Encounters fan, right, Scott? Yeah, yeah, I like it. It's fine. Uh, I don't. Oh, you know who I'm thinking? I'm thinking of the uh, Indiana Jones Manic guys. They always refer to Close Encounters. Yeah, they they love it. I think it's what they're covering on their Patreon when they're done with Jaws. Oh yeah, yeah. There you go. All right, my apologies for that. <laughs> Uh, but he uh, obviously also um, played in Predator, Action Jackson, Happy Happy Gilmore was, I guess, his, the downslope of his career. Because <laughs> Pre- Predator and Action Jackson, I mean, how much more action does it get, 1980s action, than that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he did a ton of TV appearances, you know, in the meantime. SWAT, $6 million man, Starsky and Hutch, Heat of the Night, The Shield, ER, Arrested Development. 
and the Chicago Fire PD and Justice trilogy. Hmm. Uh, did a bunch of made-for-TV movies also. When they were um, looking for a good Apollo Creed, they wanted a real boxer, um, and they had their, their sights set on Ken Norton. Um, they also considered Joe Frazier, but Norton uh, Norton turned it down. He chose to go fight in some boxing competition, and uh, Frazier was too much of a, like a technical and proficient fighter for what they wanted. They kind of wanted more of a like a street brawler kind of guy. So uh, when Carl Weathers read his lines with Stallone, he he only knew Stallone as the writer. So he said uh, after he read his lines, he said to Avelson, he says, you know, I, I could do much better if I was reading with a real actor. And then uh, <laughs> Avelson says, well, that is that is the actor. That's Rocky Balboa right there, um, pointing to Stallone. And he's like. Eh, maybe he'll get better. <laughs> so Stallone loved his like pompous and arrogant approach, and he pretty much hired him on the spot. Uh, but when uh, Carl Weathers wanted to was trying to figure out how to portray Apollo Creed, he wanted to make Apollo the antagonist without making him a villain. You know, he wanted to to he wanted him to have like humanity and kind of like a softer spot. Even though you know he's got he's got the big mouth and he's a big talker, much like Muhammad Ali was. But you like him because he's like he's smart and crafty. He gives an unknown fighter, you know, a chance at the biggest belt in in the boxing world. I mean, you end up you, starting with Rocky, the first Rocky, and all throughout, you know, Rocky Four when you know he meets his end. Like you just each film, you like him more and more, mm-hmm. you know, until, until he becomes like one of the, your favorite characters. Mm-hmm. Which the yeah, same can't right. be said about any of the other uh, villains in the Rocky right, franchise. Right. Because that's like, what all they are is villains, right? Like I couldn't even tell you, I couldn't even tell you what the name of the 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 you know the villain in Rocky Balboa is. I can't, I can't remember. Right, right. He, I, he was kind of, he wasn't uh, like a, a big mean guy like Mister T, mm-hmm. and he wasn't everything anti-American like uh, Ivan Drago was. Mm-hmm. You know, but like you said, there there wasn't anything really memorable about him. Mm-hmm. I, I actually don't like the fact that in Creed, when I finally watched Creed on the plane, that they kind of made uh, Apollo Creed out to be like a bad guy. Like he had an affair on his wife and had this illegitimate kid. And I think that kind of tainted his memory to me a little bit. Like, I, I don't like that they did that. I think they could have come up with a different storyline. Because mm. like you said, by the end of the movies, you love Apollo Creed. Everybody loves him. He's like a fan favorite. People love him. And then, you know, he comes out this movie years later and you find out oh, he was cheating on his wife he had you know with another woman and had a bait like i don't know i didn't i didn't like that so much that's one of the things i didn't like but we'll get to that in a couple mm-hmm. months years weeks whatever <laughs> <laughs> after carl weathers we have thayer david who's uh mr jurgens the promoter uh apollo creed fight promoter mm-hmm. um, miles jurgens joe spinell who's uh plays mr gazzo he was in all three godfather films i believe all three or just the first two I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not I think sure I only wanted two for him. He had yeah. small roles, though. Yeah, small roles. But uh, the one I remember most for is uh, this horror film called Maniac. <laughs> <laughs> no, can't say that I've seen. That. I don't even know why, but I had um, me and my brother and my cousins when we were kids. We had this habit of going to the local video store and buying like the campiest looking piece of garbage horror films and watching them. And this is one of the more memorable ones. <laughs> yeah, and Joe Spinell was the title character, Maniac. So, uh, the titular maniac. The, the, the weird thing I found out when I was looking at his life was, did you see the way that he died? 
Joe Spinell. Yeah, he died in this really bizarre way. He he got up in the morning, he falls in the shower, and he cuts the back of his head open on his glass shower door. And instead of like going to the hospital or getting help, he just goes in the living room, lays on the couch, goes to sleep, and bleeds to death. Jesus. And dies. Like, that is just the most bizarre way to go wow. that I've heard in a long time. <laughs> yeah, that sounds terrible. And he was Jeez. found by his sister, I believe, came over to his apartment because she hadn't heard from him in a while and found him. We have uh, Jim, Jimmy Gambina, who's uh, Mike from the from Mickey's Fight Club. I guess he's the guy in the locker room that tells Rocky he was thrown out. And uh, then George Mamoli, who's the ice rink attendant. Now, I find it weird. Scott, you're, you're more familiar with the uh, film industry much more than we are. Like, why would you um, bill those guys above above other people? Like Mickey, for example. Uh, well, I, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Mick gets his own and credit, right? Doesn't he? Yeah, get, at, yeah. as his his character's name. Yeah, that's what you do with the co-stars who are big actors. Okay. Uh, because they get they get sort of like a, you know, they're the last credited role. They get their own kind of special credit, like. It, it just sort of treats it as a really big deal. Um, mm-hmm. These This co-starring credit, uh, I mean, obviously all these rules, a lot of these rules have changed in the past, you know, 40 years, um, just guild rules and things like that. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly what the, what the deal with the order is. I don't know if it's number of lines or amount of screen time or what the guild rules were at the time, but that's why uh, they're ahead of, uh, of, of mixed credit because uh, mixed credit is, you know, it's, it's very much a save the best for last kind of. Situation. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. But I also thought, I mean, I didn't even realize because I'm more familiar with the later movies that Tony Burton, like he comes in, um, his name is shown with like seven other people. But he doesn't really even have a big part until the later movies anyway. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it comes back to union rules and stuff like that. Yeah, for the most part. All of this is, uh, all these credits and things, um, there's some negotiation that can be had with mm-hmm. the principals uh, and their agents and uh, the the studio. But mostly those negotiations are happening with the guild because the guild is who decides what the order of the credits and all of that are. It's a negotiation between all of the guilds, um, you know, trying to figure out the best way to do this that makes the actors happy, the agents happy, and the the guild rules uh, happy. Like, they, they hate breaking rules. I mean, that's the reason George Lucas left the guild is because right, yeah. they're like, no, you have to put the credits at the beginning. And yeah. he's like, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. And they're like, no, you have to. And he's like, I, I, I beg to differ. I don't think I have to do anything. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then left the guild. So, you know, it's, uh, and, and he's one, he's, I, if I'm not mistaken, he's sort of like the main reason why all of those rules changed where you no longer had to have, uh, opening credits. And I think this, this movie in particular, you can kind of see where the filmmakers are getting tired of this, you know, cause like back in the day, you know, in the, in the forties and fifties and even the up to through the sixties, you would have like opening credit sequences that were, you know, over music and just, just credits, you know, just credit cards and nothing else. Oh yeah. Yeah. For like a minute and a half. And that was just the way things were. And then through the seventies, they started experimenting it, w- experimenting with it where they'd, 
you know, let's 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 tell a little bit of the movie while we're showing these credits so that right. people aren't bored out of their mind. But even then, I think uh, a lot of the the guilds at the time threw a little bit of a, a fit about that because they're like, no, no, no. The opening credit sequence is about the credits. Don't try and take away from the credits by doing more interesting things so that no one is paying attention to these names. These names are here for a reason. People should be paying attention to them. Um, and I think it was movies like Rocky and then things like that, like all through the 70s, who kind of snubbed their nose at those rules, that the rules were changed. And then George Lucas just threw them all out the window. So <laughs> Groundbreaker. Yeah. Um, so what, what, uh, I mean, I know you have back to the future, um, minute you're working on Spider-Man minute. Mm -hmm. Is that still, uh, so, uh, yeah, well, we're, we're done with the first movie. Um, I, I'm switching because for some reason I can't allow myself to have any time off. I, <laughs> I'm back with my back to the future co-host and we're doing the Cornetto minute, which is, uh, the Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg, uh, films. Uh, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fez, and The World's End. We're doing those one minute at a time. And th that starts in with Shaun of the Dead in October. So that's what I'll have going on uh, right now uh, as as this is happening. And then, um, as you said, Back to the Future, we're finished with. So you can find all, I think, it'll end up being 345 episodes of that show uh, are Man. are available for you to go and uh, listen to and, and binge. Um, and uh, Spider-Man Minute, we got 120 episodes of that for you to listen to. So uh, go check that out and everything else at DuelingGenre.com. You heard it here, DuelingGenre.com, where you can find all the projects that Scott's working on. As for this, will you join us again? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. Until then, you can ask yourself, are there going to be any more credits or is it end at George Mamoli? Mm. <laughs> you have to tune in tomorrow and find out on the well, next. We already gave away that uh, Mickey's credit's coming up. So. <laughs> All right. Shame we on don't me. have to. <laughs> <laughs> on the next Rocky Minute.